Some of my most memorable moments in the Seventh-day Adventist Church have been around baptisms, and often I would build a whole service around the baptism because I see it as so important. So keep these gentlemen in prayer. In, in many respects, they are, they are new, at least, to the Seventh-day Adventist faith, so we have to uh, give them a break, right? We have to build them in the faith. We need to be patient, sensitive, and all of the other qualities of being a Christian church family. Now, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we've got to chapter 15. So please take a Bible, and just before we pray and get into the sermon, I want to just very quickly do uh, an overview of how we got to this point at this time. I believe it's always been in the heart of God. This fits in very well with what we studied this morning about the Bible and history. It's always been in the heart of God to have Jews and Gentiles as one in his church family. And I believe we can find a number of texts in the Old Testament that would indicate that. But it was an extremely hard thing for a sincere Christian Jewish man to believe that Gentiles could come in on the same basis, into the family of God on the same basis as Jews without circumcision, without the law of Moses, and without all of the stuff that went with being a Jew. And remember, even though there was some stuff that was added, the traditions, which Jesus in Matthew 23 uh, addresses, there was a lot of good things that God had said were important. So for a Jew mentally to come to the point of saying, hey, I've been faithfully following Jesus Christ and following the Old Testament in what it says about being a faithful Jew, and you mean to tell me that these Gentiles can just get in by trusting in Jesus, getting baptized, and then they're part of the family of God? You've got to be joking. It's not that easy. It's not been that easy for me, and it's not going to be that easy for them. So that's part of the issue, what we're facing this morning. So we will walk through Acts chapter 15 this morning, and we will end up with a decree that the early church makes to address this issue of being in the church family and having good table fellowship with one another. Can you imagine George or Chris when we have our fellowship meal after this, this service? And by the way, you're all invited to that. I see we have a number of guests here today. Everybody is welcome to stay for a little bit longer if you're able to do that. We're going to celebrate Chris and George, but just imagine if, if one week uh, the pastor, for example, sat down with Chris and George, and the next week he didn't. And then the next week he didn't. And it wouldn't take them very long to figure out this guy's snubbing us. And we don't really understand why. Because one day he sat down and ate with us, maybe many times, and now he no longer does that. So those are some of the issues that were going on in the early Christian church, and it took probably decades for the church to really deal with this issue. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, as we walk through it, 
We invite the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in step with him. We want to do your will, Lord, to know your will and to do your will. We thank you for George and we thank you for Chris. Uh, as examples, Lord, of, of men who are trying to follow you. Put that desire in all of our hearts. Be with our children that are here, Lord, as they're growing up. Help us to be Christ-like examples for them. and Point them in the right direction is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, we're in, we're in the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. I'll give you the page reference if you're using the Bible in the pew. And that's on page 1718. Acts chapter 15. Now last week, we were in this chapter. Can anyone remember how many verses we covered? Hey, it was only seven days ago, folks. How many verses did we cover last week? Okay, we'll have a guess. It's going to be one, two, three, four, or five. Five. The first five verses we pretty much covered last week. So I'll go real quick through those and then slow down as we go through some of the other verses. The first five verses introduce us to the issue, the problem, the dissension that is being created. Because it says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Some men, who were they? Maybe verse 5 possibly uh, clues us in that they were Pharisees, Jewish Christians. Did, weren't the Pharisees the ones who rejected Jesus? Well, if we study the book of Acts carefully, we'll find that many of these Pharisees, possibly people that said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, got saved. You can say amen to that, because that's good news. Not that they said crucify him, but that they turned eventually to the Lord Jesus Christ. But for some of these men, it was really hard, as I mentioned in the introduction, it's very, very hard to really understand on what basis these Gentiles should come in. So here they're saying circumcision taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. This was in a place called Antioch of Syria. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem, see the apostles and elders about this question. Today we would call that going to the conference office or a general conference session. These are leaders from different parts of the spread of Christianity, not just Jerusalem, not just Antioch, other places too, coming together, trying to be of like mind, and trying to find a resolution. So the church sent them on their way. This is the church in Antioch. And as they traveled through Phoenicia, Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. The reason that Luke is wording it, and by the way, we've been studying history and we never even mentioned Luke, Dr. Luke, the historian. But the reason he's wording it like this, he's trying to show 
that there was essential unity and agreement with the leadership in Jerusalem along with people like Paul and Barnabas. Because remember, some of these Jewish Christians said, well, we've come from James. He's the top dog in Jerusalem. We've come from James, and we have credentials from James. And they came with a different gospel. Not that James sent them, but that they claimed to have come or to have the backing of James. So you can quickly see, very easily see, with what little I've said up to, up to now, that you could easily have two Gospels which would end up with two churches, a very Jewish church and a very non-Jewish church. Is that the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that they may be one as we are one? Do we have God the Father working against God the Holy Spirit, working against God the Lord Jesus Christ? No. We have this unity in the Godhead, this oneness, and that is always God's desire for His children. Please remember that when something's going on in church, whichever church you attend, or in the larger Seventh-day Adventist church. We are a worldwide church, um, George and Chris, in many, many countries of the world. And the main reason for that is Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached where? Just in Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Then the end will come. Many Seventh-day Adventists want Jesus to come back. I hope we all want that. Now, when we're a young teenager thinking maybe one day we'll get married, we don't want Jesus to come back until we're married. And then when we get married, well, don't come back until I've had children. So you can send your requests up to Jesus on when He should come back, but I'll tell you, He has His own agenda. He has His own timetable. And He will come back when He knows the time is right to come back. Okay, so here the church welcomed them in Jerusalem. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party, here's the negative side of it, of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised, so that's one issue, and required to obey the law of Moses. And I would assume that this other request, the law of Moses, would include the ceremonial system, would include the sacrificing of animals, and so on. In these few words here, there's probably a lot of things that were expected of the Gentiles. So that's what's causing the dissension. And you have, essentially you have, I know it says Barnabas and Paul, but the reality is we're pretty much talking about Paul. When you study Galatians chapter 2, and you see that Peter was playing the part of a hypocrite along with Barnabas, and all the Jewish leaders except one, there's only one mentioned who could see through this hypocrisy and was willing to take it head on. And that was Paul. 
And Paul understood the gospel, as far as I'm concerned, more clearly than any other Christian on planet earth. In the New Testament, at the end of, of Romans chapter 16, in Ephesians chapter 3, he talks there about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery, the mystery being not something that could never be understood. And of course, you had lots of mystery religions in the first century outside of Christianity. And you could only get into those exclusive clubs if you understood the secrets of the organization. So the mystery here was something, he says in Romans and Ephesians, that was hidden, but is, has now been revealed. Paul talks of my gospel, not because he invented the gospel, but because he was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the bottom line? The bottom line, which was not understood, even by sincere, devout Jewish Christians, was that Gentiles would come into the family of God. That was understood. They knew the Old Testament text that talked about that. But what they didn't understand is that Gentiles would come on, come in on the same equal basis. Not a first-class and a second-class believer, but would come in on exactly the same basis as Jews would come into the family of God, faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so it's not, if you understand that, it's not hard to, to, to figure out why Satan gives us such a hard time on this topic of justification or righteousness by faith. Ellen White, when she talks about it, and she does a lot, there were lots of incidents going on in 1888, Jones and Wagoner, if you know some of Adventist history, history, again, our lesson this morning, we never talked about that in my class. What about Adventist history? Do we know our own history so we don't make the mistakes? We know our past so we can possibly make the right steps for the future? But she says the, the stranglehold of Satan will be broken. Isn't that a desirous thing in your life and in my life and in the life of a church family? that the stranglehold of Satan will be broken when God's people grasp this message of justification or righteousness by faith. And all that is saying is, there has been a perfect Jew. Guess what his name was? Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we have in the Old Testament this history of the failure of the Jewish uh, people, there was one Jew who did perfectly keep all the demands of a holy God. And he is the representative of the human race. Adam was the representative at one time. The Lord Jesus Christ is the representative. Believe in your representative, and you shall have everlasting life. Do not believe in him, and then the condemnation of God comes upon us because we have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was a real contentious issue. Is it trusting in Jesus alone, or is it trusting and believing in Jesus plus something else? 
See how important it is for us as a church family to understand these teachings and to grasp them in their fullness. You need to understand books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Book of Romans. These are the main writings by Paul where he deals and spells out this gospel. So the apostles met to consider, and the elders to consider this question. Not just the apostles, not just the elders, lots of representation here. We can learn a lesson from that. It's not just what the bishops say. It's not just what the Pope says. It's not just, in our setting, what the general conference president decides or your local pastor or conference president. Yes, they can all have their say, but it's we as a people, the priesthood of Christ. Now, it's not like all of the church members had a direct say in this, but they sent their representatives. So it was a representative system. Let's see what they decided. After much discussion, don't you wish you were in on that discussion? I think I would like that more than anything else in Acts chapter 15. It's probably pretty heated, pretty agitated. There were probably some of them standing there with their hands on their hip saying, you get real now. I can give you hundreds of texts from the Old Testament to back up my point. But here it just says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So he's obviously mentioned by Luke specifically because there was an issue with Peter in Acts chapter 10, Galatians chapter 2. So it's very much part of this issue. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now, if you have a good study Bible or a good reference system in your Bible, you should be able to cross-reference. Can you read that small print? Some of you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. I should throw it up on the screen. You have small print there. You've got to have good eyesight or good glasses to read it, which is going to cross-reference you probably to Acts chapter 10, maybe to Galatians chapter 2. And most of you, I think, can remember in Acts chapter 10 where the sheet is held down. And what was in that sheet? The unclean animals. Any clean ones? No and yes. We have a division. We need a representative way of deciding who's correct. Hey, we might be here a long time, folks, figuring this one out. They were both. And the point was, God was saying to Peter, referring to the Gentiles, do not call common what I have accepted, in essence, as clean. Right? So Peter refused to eat these animals that they were prescribed in the Old Testament not to eat. Where do you find that? Primarily in the book of Leviticus. 
partially in the book of Deuteronomy. And there it's very, God is very specific on the diet that we should eat. It's not just about diet, but the issue is there being clean or unclean. Or in the book of Acts, common or, or unclean. And so Peter refused to do that, absolutely refused to that, and God three times encouraged him to get up and eat. And he interpreted that eventually when he understood the vision and going to Cornelius' house and seeing the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles, he, he understood that this was God's way of showing that he had accepted these men because they had faith and trust in Jesus. And how did God indicate that they were accepted into his family? The Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he fell upon us Jews in Acts chapter 2. So we have two outpourings of the Holy Spirit, a Jewish one and a Gentile one. So Peter finally understood that message. God, verse 8, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them. Accepted them is, a, is an acceptable term for justification or righteousness by faith. God, in other words, has declared, this is what justification is, it is God the judge declaring that somebody is accepted or rejected. That's the gospel right there. You're either in or you're out. How do you get in? Trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And when somebody does that, other, other things kick in, such as the Holy Spirit being given to a believer. Paul makes it very clear that we are not a Christian. We are not saved unless the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. So this is Peter's way of explaining this. God accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. So it should be very clear to all of us as it was difficult for many of these people in the first century to believe that there's just one way into the family, and when one is in, there's no first and second class. George and Chris are not, are not yes, we call them baby Christians, but when we call them baby Christians, we can't call them mature Christians, right? Or a mature Seventh-day Adventist. But we can talk of total equality. And that's a really important issue in this study this morning. So Peter seems to get it, right? Well, you know what he says in Galatians chapter 2. I'm not going to turn there because we've covered that before. But what we find there is he's eating one day with the Gentiles, and then when Jewish pressure is put on him, he's not eating. So he was playing the part of a hypocrite. And Paul actually uses that word. So let's make sure that we examine our hearts this morning, that we
clearly understand the terms of acceptance by God, trusting alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we don't play the part of a hypocrite, getting it one day, denying it the next day. Now you could say, well, well, we don't have these kind of issues anymore where people are sweating about what you eat and what you don't eat, don't we? Certainly in North America, we have quite a divided church on some of these issues. There's divisions on music, there's divisions on food, there's divisions on a whole bunch of things. And even though we have varying opinions on these things, they should never divide us. We should never allow them to divide us. All right, let's move on. The whole assembly became silent, so Peter has finally shut them up for a while as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that Paul and Barnabas would never have got the ear of these people unless they'd become quiet at this point because of what Peter said. God has done among the Gentiles through them these miraculous signs and wonders. When they finished, James spoke up. So it really doesn't say very much about Barnabas and Paul. They're, they're in the hot seat. Luke doesn't tell us too much about what they said. But then he goes to James, and James is one important figure here. He looks like he was the leader in Jerusalem. This is the brother of Jesus, the one who probably mocked Jesus on numerous occasions. This man has got saved. Not only has he got saved, but he's become a strong leader in the church. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, this is Simon Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this. So as a good Jew, he's going to quote Old Testament Scripture, just like the Pharisees who were after circumcision are also quoting the Old Testament Scriptures. By the way, this is the only Bible the church had at this point in time. So don't let any Christian tell you that they're just New Testament Christians. They don't really understand the implications of what they're saying when they say things like that. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, quoting from Amos. Its ruins I will build and I will rebuild and will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I'll circle that word difficult or whatever translation you have for that. Now, if we had time, I'd take you into Matthew 23, but some of you will remember where Jesus chastised the Pharisees for the burdens that they were laying on believers' shoulders. It's quite a long section there. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a very solemn section of Scripture. So try and keep that in your mind when you think of difficulties and burdens that were being laid upon people's shoulders. And then try and bring it into the day and age in which you live, where you would go outside of this building, whichever community you're living in. And I tell you, you'll have a hard time finding one person that believes the right way in how to get right with God. 
you will look long and hard to find anyone who understands justification by faith or righteousness by faith. So the onus is upon you if you understand this teaching, and if you don't understand it, I don't really see how you can really call yourself a Christian. But that's debatable. There's different levels of understanding. But you've got to go out of this building today, wherever you're going, and you've got to share good news of Jesus Christ with people without making it difficult for them, without adding burdens. Are we trying to soften, smooth down the message? No. We're going to clarify the message so that people can get it and come into the family of God. And when they believe and trust, the Holy Spirit takes over their life and maybe or maybe not, you have the possibility to disciple them. Wow, what an exciting time it becomes in the church of God. We can't just sit on this information, this knowledge. We need to share good news. So the good news is, by believing or trusting in Jesus, a person has, present tense, everlasting life. Yeah, but pastor, don't we need to teach them about the Sabbath, the Ten Commandments, and all the rest of it? Yes, you have a responsibility to do that. But don't put the cart before the horse. Don't get backwards what should be in the front. It's not a bad thing to talk about the importance of the Ten Commandments and how it reveals sin in our lives. People need to know that they're sinners before they will turn to a Savior. But when you've done that, when you've talked about God's standards, then you need to find a way, bring Jesus in at this point to uh, give them an escape from the judgment of God. Anyway, here's the way he puts it. We shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to, and there's four things that are listed here. So mentally, or if you're taking notes, write these things down telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols. Does he tell them to abstain from food? No. Karen likes food. She's quite clear about that. No. We're not, he's not saying that. But food that is consecrated, dedicated to what? To idols. That's one. From sexual immorality. Gentiles were known for that. That's kind of a more of a, of a universal emphasis from the meat of strangled animals I want you to think where do you find strangled animals in the old testament and from what blood from blood now why does it mention strangled animals why does it mention such things as blood I mean, if I invited you to our fellowship luncheon this morning and says we're going to have some containers of blood that you can pour onto your salad, what would you think? Pastor, I think I'll pass today. I really need, I'm busy, need to get somewhere else. So it wasn't an unusual, I can still remember growing up in England with black puddings. How many of you have tasted black pudding? We'll pray for your longevity. 
never appealed to me. And I didn't know anything about the blood at that time, but just didn't appeal to me. But I have, I have, I have failed in other areas. The pork pies were pretty big in England when I was a child. Anyway, so the Bible teaches that the life is in the blood. It looks like we have a lot of admonition in Scripture, mainly in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy. Um, do you need any of those verses? I'll mention them though I don't have time to really look at them. Genesis 9-4, so this is very early on in, in human history. Leviticus 3, 17, chapter 7, 26, chapter 17, 19, and Deuteronomy 12. Those are some places where you'll find some discussion on the clean, the unclean, and the mention of blood. So the bottom line as I see it is these are things that are, are really going to be distasteful to table fellowship, to true fellowship. So you will do well, James says, to avoid these things. He says that in verse 29. And I still believe that is true. So some of you like to eat meat. Is, is the Jerusalem Council encouraging us to avoid meat? No. But they are saying, do something with this food. So if the, if the animal is strangled, do you avoid the meat, the blood rather? No, you don't. The blood, or at least the Jews would believe, the blood goes through the system of the animal. But if you slit its throat and you shed its blood and you have what's called koshered food, then you avoid, supposedly, the blood. So that was acceptable in Jewish circles. Now, I don't know if you have Jewish friends who observe these things, but you're going to need to be pretty sensitive to the different cultural traditions of people and also, of course, take seriously what the Word of God says. And I personally believe that when it says avoid the blood, the eating, the digesting of the blood, that that's still valid today. Because God's point when He originally gives these directions to the Israelites is for their, their best health. Or if it's not a health issue, what is best for sanitation in the community or some other issues? It's always for the benefit of a human being. Even if we don't fully understand why God has asked us to observe these things. Well, pastor, won't life get kind of complicated if we start adding all of these, these restrictions? No, I don't think so. I think that you're going to be possibly a healthier person for, for it, and at least you're going to have to wrestle with these things. What we do not see is an early church leadership that says, forget the Old Testament. We're going to have our own New Testament. We're going to run with that. This is Christianity after all. Let's just break away from Judaism. You don't see that. Yes, you see a breaking away of maybe the negative aspects of Judaism, but you do not ever, have you ever thought of that why did the early ch Christian church run with the Old Testament? 
That's all they had, but why, why bother? They had apostles, they had prophets in their midst. They could have come up with something new, which they eventually did. So even when they had the new, which took decades to happen, why did they still give full authority to the old? Now, a lot of Christians are really confused on this issue. So it's pretty, pretty fundamental and basic. What is the relationship between the old and the new? Do we give them equal, an equal say? Do they both have full authority, or is one more important than the other? So every Christian at some point, if they're thinking, will be faced with some of these issues. And those of you that do eat flesh food, then I'm encouraging you on the basis of my understanding of the Word of God, do your best to avoid the blood. But pastor, I don't understand why God gave all this instruction in the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, I don't either. Sometimes it tells you why, but sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't tell you why, should you just push it aside? Or should you say, this is the Word of God? I may not understand it, but I'm going to do my best to live in harmony with what God is trying to tell me through the prophets. For Moses has been preached, verse 21, in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Those of you that are Sabbath keepers, this is an important verse. could preach a whole sermon on that one verse alone. Think of the implications. Whatever date this is in history, Moses is being read every Sabbath in the temple, in the synagogues. Early Christians are very, very much into the Old Testament, and they're obviously keeping the Sabbath. But where's Sunday? Where's the first day of the week? Don't worry about that. That comes later. You'll not find it emphasized in the New Testament. There are a few texts that mention first day, but not in the context of this being an authoritative command of God like we find it in the fourth commandment. They are pretty much incidental references to the first day of the week. But that's another study in itself. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men, send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So the decree has been made. Not everyone's going to love it. Some are going to be just so excited. And some are going to say, oh man, what were they thinking? So here's the de delivery of the decree. So they chose Paul and Barnabas, Judas, Silas, and with them they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the 
name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Whoa, wouldn't you like to believe, belong to a church that you know is led by the Holy Spirit? What an interesting way to word this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden with you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then he repeats these four things. Abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Do you remember this morning in my class where we discussed about past, present, future in the role of the prophets? Here's the present encouraging, strengthening, an important aspect of the prophetic role. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace and returned to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. I just need to quickly bring a conclusion to this sermon. It should be very obvious by now, but after 15 chapters, what the gospel is, what the plan of salvation is, what is Christian truth, that there is one gospel of grace. Once you nail that down, that one gospel of grace should shape your whole life and the life of the church family. What's it saying? That if God has absolutely accepted people on the basis of trusting in Jesus, we have to accept other people on that same basis. Whether they're doing a lot of stuff as the Jews would do, or whether they have very little to bring to the table, because this is the entrance requirement into God's kingdom, and we know that God has fully accepted them because He poured His Holy Spirit out, we have to accept one another. So, hey, flesh eaters, the vegans, and the one in between if you do not sit at the same table, you deny the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. These people coming in from the outside, these pagans, because that's what these, many of these Gentiles were. We're not talking now about the ones that were proselytes and very open to Judaism. We're talking about people that were clueless, doing the most gross things, suddenly get saved suddenly are in the family of God. And these sophisticated Jewish people with all of their, their lifestyle, somehow, some way, and I'm not saying it's easy, folks. If you've worked with people in very different cultures, you know that this is, not, this is a Holy Spirit thing we're talking about. This is not flesh and blood that has revealed this. Somehow the Holy Spirit working in our lives has to bring us together. If we're not brought together, these people from the outside do not see a living gospel. They see a gospel that is 
theoretically one, but in practice causes division. So we can never allow that to happen. And wherever we see it, on whatever level we see it on, we have to stand up like Paul did and call people, even if they're a great man of God like Peter. Could you, could you imagine yourself calling the general conference president on the carpet if he does something that's publicly wrong? That's the implications of what we're reading, at least in Galatians, when Paul takes on Peter. Doesn't matter if it's the pastor doing it, pastors make mistakes, prophets make mistakes, apostles make mistakes. We can't allow that to happen. We have to have that Christian love demonstrated by oneness, and in this context, it's table fellowship, one church family. Church unity is thus maintained. And then the church could never be just a Jewish sect. If it had gone into being just a Jewish sect, we would never, you and I would not be sitting here this morning listening to this message. It's the international church family of God. Are these decrees and prohibitions still valid today? Well, think about it. If we avoid the blood, and if we avoid the blood, we are healthier for it, is that a smart thing to do or not? Sexual immorality? Christians, when they say to me, Pastor, I have to sleep around. Christians don't say things like that. Well, stand in a pastor's shoes for a few months, a few years, and yes, you will hear these types of things. And what do you do? Do you just kick that person out of your office? No, you bring them back to the gospel. You bring them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of people who call themselves Seventh-day Adventists have never been born again. They do not understand in their heart of hearts what it means experientially to be a Christian. Those of you that do understand that, talk about holiness in an attractive way, not in a burdensome, difficult, adding weight onto people's shoulders. Show people that there is a Holy Spirit. And that He does live within us if we trust in Jesus Christ. And He can make radical changes in your life. We could have a whole service just by passing the microphone and saying, tell me, tell me where the Holy Spirit has given you the victory. And I tell you, that would be a long service because the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives that believe in Jesus. Is that good news or what? Once you're in the family, how should you behave? Walk in step with the Spirit. Paul spells those things out usually at the end of his epistles. First part of the epistles of his letters, he's telling you who you are in Christ, what are the implications of the gospel. The last half is how to live this stuff. And it's the living of it that we struggle but maybe we struggle with the living of it because we really don't understand the teaching of it. I don't know about you, but I find the book of Acts just one powerful book. Is it doing anything for you? 
Should I cut the series short here? Or should we keep going? Keep going. And let's see what God did in that early church, what He can do in our church today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for each person of the Godhead, for You being a loving, compassionate Father, as is revealed in the Old Testament, as in the New. We thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ, who agreed to be born in this world, to live the perfect life, to, make, to meet all of the demands of a holy God and a holy law, to be our representative, to be our high priest in heaven, coming back soon as King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for the life of Jesus. We also thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help each one of us to so trust in Jesus this morning that we will know and we will feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Only He can clean us up and shape us and mold us into the beautiful image of Jesus. And Lord, we truly want to think and live like Jesus. And when we do, Lord, people will sit up and take notice and be drawn to You, which is always the desire of our heart. In Jesus' name we thank You. Amen.